0: Isaiah 41. Comfort for God's people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The Word of God stands forever. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. The greatness of God... Go on up to a mountain, a high mountain, on Zion, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. Thank you, Don. I appreciate you reading God's word for us this morning. Well, Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? answered by quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's why love God is in our identity statement. We're a redeemed family that loves God and loves others. Because as the Westminster Catechism says, we were created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. A.W. Tozer speaks to this at the beginning of his book, Knowledge of the Holy, and he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm going to read that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why is that true? Because when we rightly view who God is, it changes the way we look at this world. It changes the way we understand how things work. If we rightly view who God is and how great he is, we are not going to see ourselves as the center of the universe, because he's the center of the universe. He's powerful, that will humble us when we rightly view who God is and all his glory and all of his attributes and understand him rather than being afraid or fearing or anxious about things, we are going to be moved to a place of trust because we're going to rightly see who God is. So for the next number of weeks, as we approach Easter Sunday, we are going to spend some time in God's word Understanding who God is, looking at his attributes, and we're going to do that in the book of Isaiah starting here in Isaiah 40. And I think it's great for us at some point throughout the calendar year for us to spend some time in the Old Testament because oftentimes as Christians, we can spend most of our time in the New Testament. And I get why we spend time in the New Testament because we learn about like, Jesus and the Gospels and we read the epistles and they're really easy to, uh, you know, to understand and we kind of like, hey, you know, I don't get Leviticus and some of those other Old Testament books and they're kind of slow, but the Old Testament was Jesus' Bible. The Old Testament actually points us to the coming King. And so as we look at God's Word in the Old Testament, may that excite you about reading the Old Testament, but may God open our eyes as we study in Isaiah to his character and his majesty. Well, let's ask God for his help. Father, we need you to reveal yourself to us. You've revealed yourself to us in your word, but we need you to open our eyes because we know the people of God over ages and ages past oftentimes have had their hearts hardened. So we ask God that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our eyes to the wonder of who you are and may that change the way that we live today. We ask this Lord in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, as we come to Isaiah 40, 39 chapters come before it. So it's helpful to kind of get a little bit of context as we come here. The people of God had been disobedient, not following God. So Isaiah is declaring warning, he's calling them to repent of their sins. And the heart of where people are at is kind of summed up in the last verse of verse 39 when uh, King Hezekiah says this to Isaiah. He says, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good because he had spoken that there was going to be kind of peace and security in in his days and danger was going to come after. And he said, For he thought, for there will be peace and security in my days. This guy was okay if everything was fine. He didn't care what was happening in the future. He didn't care what destruction was coming. He's like just content. If if I'm good, that's fine. And that kind of epitomized the people of God. Like as long as there's not suffering for us right now, we're good. It doesn't matter if there's some kind of judgment coming. Well, unfortunately, the people of God experienced God's disciplinary judgment. They were sent to exile there was discouragement and hurt and pain. And they would ultimately have felt that when they were in exile. They would have felt defeated and bitter and disillusioned as as if God had failed them. We even get a flavor of that, of what the people of God might have been saying in, in verse 27 when the people said, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right hand is disregarded from my God. And so they would have been crying out. But they would have had Isaiah's words to look back upon to give them hope. Now, in the midst of difficult places, we can blame God. When we're in difficult situations, circumstances, we can blame God, we can get angry with God. We can stew over the bitterness of life. And when we experience hard things, we can be tempted to think God has abandoned us. That he's failed us. Whether, Whether it's because we have failed in the things that we've done and we feel like God's judging us or other people have failed us and we experience hurt and pain. But in the midst of hurt and pain, we don't see a God who has abandoned his people. We actually see the opposite. So look back at your Bibles. This is what God speaks comfort, comfort my people, says your God. God speaks a promise in this passage to bring comfort to his people in the midst of devastation. Comfort, comfort. He says, speak tenderly in verse 2. Speak tenderly the children of God had abandoned God, had, were experiencing the consequences of abandoning God, and God comes to them. Instead of rejecting them, He comes to them. And He's saying, Your, your hardship. Is going to end. It says, uh, "Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, to cry to her that her warfare, or other, another way to translate that word, hardship, difficulty that you have, that's going to come to an end." He's wanting to give them hope that the challenge that they're experiencing is going to come to an end. I've not distanced myself from you. I'm close. When you find yourself in a place of failure or in a in a place of struggle do you view God as one who comes and meets you where you are as one who speaks tenderly as one who comes with mercy or do you or do you see God as just like oh He must be distancing himself. I'm feeling this pain. He must be distancing himself. Or I've been disobedient in some way. God's just kind of wanting me to to be in the corner. He's just kind of shaming me over here. I've kind of got the dunce cap on and I'm looking in the corner because that's where God wants me because I've I've done things that are wrong. Now, do we sin? Yeah, we do. Do we suffer when we sin? We, We do. Does God leave us there? absolutely not. God does not leave us there. He might do his work of discipline in us for our good, but he comes and he brings comfort. Or maybe there's just a time of discouragement. God doesn't recoil from us in that time. He actually comes near. Because the time and place of God's comfort is often the place of failure and struggle. The time where God comes and he speaks his comfort to you is often in that place where you are struggling. It's kind of counterintuitive. You kind of think, well, that's not the place where God's comforting, but that's kind of the the place maybe we're ready to be comforted. John Calvin explains, he says, no one will ever reverence God, but he who is confident that God is favorable toward him. We aren't going to reverence God or, or run to Him if we don't understand that God is favorable toward us. And He's ultimately favorable toward us because of what He's done at the cross of Jesus Christ. He's made a way for us to have a relationship with Him. That's where we know ultimately of His favor towards us. So we must understand that that's there when we are struggling, that that is the inclination of His heart to lean into us to care for us, to be favorable toward us, to speak tenderly to us. To say, this trial is, is going to come to an end. I, I, I'm going to forgive your sin. And he's, he's leaning in. Now, as a, as a side note, this is a great picture and a help to those of us who are parents or those of us who hope to be parents one day. Now, this isn't just for parents of four-year-olds or 14-year-olds, but maybe parents of 40-year-olds. There are times we have to say hard things to our children. There's times we have to discipline our children. Some things may be rushing into your minds. There may be things that happened to you yesterday or this morning. It seems like all, there's always a discipline that seems to have to happen in the car on the way to church. I don't know why that happens. The only time it doesn't happen is when your child is with your spouse in the other car. We have an opportunity in those moments to display the character of God. And and discipline is necessary. It it is necessary to raise. Our our children aren't hardwired to Jesus, right? We kind of know that. Our hearts are desperately wicked. They're going to need Christ, and there's time we have to bring correction because we want to raise them up in the way that they should go. But we want to make sure that they know our love for them. So, whatever our correction needs to be, in some way, whatever that looks like in your family, whether it's a warm embrace, make sure before you move on that they know that you love them. Because the temptation and the, and the enemy is going to lie to them that you don't love them, that you're distant, that you're just some angry, bitter individual that doesn't care, and I can't wait till I get out from under your roof. That's what the enemy wants them to believe. Actually, that's what the enemy wants us to believe about God, but we learn something different in this passage. You know, God leans in in the midst of, of struggle and hardship, so make, make your kids aware. We're not going to be perfect in this, but let's make our kids aware that we love them, that we care for them we encourage them, even in the moments of struggle, certainly in the moments outside of the struggle. And when you do, understand this is far more significant than helping your kids be whatever you desire them to be. This is you displaying the character of God to them. And as they grow, they're going to get a picture of God by the way that you parent. Now, I know they're not going to get a perfect picture, because they aren't getting a perfect picture in the Maxim household. But they're going to get a picture of God, because he's leaning in, and there's hope for change, whether it's in our homes, but there's hope for change for us. There are new beginnings. The Christian life isn't all about struggle and hardship. There are new beginnings. God does change our hearts. He does direct us. There, there is the reality that God makes a way, oftentimes, where there seems to be no way, but we need to understand God speaks a promise to us in the midst of our struggle but that promise that he speaks, it's not empty. It has substance to it. It's not like sometimes you get those mailers, uh, people advertising things. Maybe it's um, you know some road show that's coming in town or it's like a car dealership. And they're just like, you've won. Or there's a key here to, to put it in the car. And you're just like, all of a sudden, like, I've gotten something valuable. Maybe someone's trying to sell you a vacation package or something. And it looks all really good. And we all know that there's just there's kind of emptiness to it. It doesn't really deliver in the way that the shiny packaging shows. God's promises are not at all like that. When he delivers a promise, it is meaty, it is full of substance. This is the promise. Voice cries in the wilderness. In verse three, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up Every mountain and hill be made low, the uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, at first glance, it's kind of like, man, that just kind of sounds pretty devastating. Like everything's just going to get wiped out. We have to put ourselves in the shoes of the original hearers, like their world. Was not like our world. Their world was more like the world of of Lewis and Clark. Remember learning about them in history? Right? They explore the land in North America. Now, did they just, you know, hop in their all-sport utility vehicle and just, you know, took them just three days to get from coast to coast? No, like they're going in valleys, they're going over hills, they're they're trudging through rivers and and to, to explore this land. That would have been life for the original years. Most of them wouldn't have had some even animal to ride on. They would have been walked everywhere. So to make a journey, there wasn't even a guarantee you would finish the journey because the journey itself would be hard. So as as these words are spoken, their their ears perk up. Like this is something significant. God's saying, I'm going to make a way there seems to be no way. In fact, the path is going to be so straight that it's, it's going to be accomplished because that's what I am doing. And so they're leaning in. There's, there's something significant that's going on here. They don't fully grasp what's going on here, but, but this, is, this is going to give them hope. You mean this hardship and hurt that we've been experiencing is going to come to an end. Now for us, On this side of the cross, on this side of some of the things that have shared in the New Testament, these verses have more significance for us. Why do they have significance for us? Because when you hear a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Have you heard that somewhere before? You've heard it in all of the Gospels, not just one or two or three. All four Gospels have these words in it because they talk about John the Baptist who quotes these verses. And John the Baptist points us to Christ who says, look, here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the people of God in the midst of hardship are like there's there's hope coming. God's making a promise, and we we understand what that promise is, and it's already come. We don't have to await a promise in the midst of the hard that we experience. We don't have to wait for this promise to happen. It has already come because Jesus has come. But God is saying, be prepared. So He's saying to them, be prepared for the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. For us, be prepared for the return. Of the Messiah. So the king is coming. Be prepared. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Are you ready for his return? Because there's a promise that he is coming back. He is going to return. Are you ready to meet him? Have you repented of your sins and trusted in him? Are you anticipating his return? Are you living your life today in light of the fact that he is coming back? Because God is going to bring about a monumental transformation. He'll make a a monumental transformation in your life when you trust in him. And if you have trusted him, you understand this. But he's going to make everything right, not just like partially right. He's going to make everything right. We try to make some things right in our world. Like when you think about making the roads that we have, I think about the illustration of the, the picture that you see in that, that movie, Cars. Right? I know it's about you know, the car and his pride and he gets humbled and all that, but there's kind of like this little side story going on here of like this old road, you know, Route 66 and other roads like it that were throughout our country that, you know, it took kind of forever to get from one point A to point B, and then highways were created, and certainly they are super helpful to get places. If you've got to go somewhere, it's great to have a highway to get there, right? Particularly when there aren't potholes like we've got, right? Because there we're just kind of like, well, there's a straight road, but it's still kind of a maze. And so when man tries to fix things, yeah, they fix something, but then there's this, there's always some unintended consequence when we try to fix stuff. Like in the, in the picture of the roads, right, there, there are businesses that are, are hurting and Towns that die. Because when man ever tries to fix things, whenever he fixes something, he messes something up. But, but not with God. When he fixes one thing, it, it fixes it. When he fixes something, there's enduring transformation. There's enduring transformation in your life. Even though as God has transformed you, you may struggle. Like, oh, oh, God, what are you, you know, I feel like I'm just struggling with new things and I just never seem to get over the hump. No, God, God is working in you. He's conforming you to the image of his son. If you look back over the whole of your walk with Jesus, you were in a certain place and he has grown you. Even though you might be struggling, you're like, no, maybe God hasn't done anything. No, he has been at work It is obvious he is doing a work in you because the first thing he does is he changes our hearts. In Ezekiel 36, we learn, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. He started this leveling work when he came as a man, Christ. He starts the leveling work by... By challenging the pride of the Pharisees who thought themselves high, and maybe he's done that work in your life where you've been proud, and he's brought you low. Or he's done that leveling work by coming alongside those who are heartbroken and found themselves in a place of sin and discouragement, and you're just like, I don't know where we're going to go, and he lifts up because rather than there being a hopelessness that only only certain people get to have a relationship with God no the gospel is for everyone because God desires that all will be saved that's forever the good news is for everyone there's no one beyond the reach of Christ if we'd simply receive him he is working and his glory is going to be revealed. It says here, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And it was absolutely revealed in Christ's coming. Certainly, we saw God's glory in the Old Testament in different places, right? We've seen, we see his glory at Mount Sinai, where the, there's... His glory, Moses can't only but look on the backside of God or there's the devouring fire or Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord with a supercharged chariot that comes down and gets him and there's a variety of ways that we see the glory of the Lord and we need to grasp the glory of the Lord. We need to grasp his glory because we, we think too highly of things that just aren't going to last. John Piper speaks to this, and he says, in the church, our view of God is so small instead of huge, so marginal instead of crucial, so vague instead of clear, so impotent instead of determining, And so uninspiring instead of ravishing that the responsibility to live to the glory of God is a thought without content. The words can come out of our mouths, but ask the average Christian to tell what they know about the glory of this God that they are going to live for, and the answer will not be long. That's a sobering assessment. It's my prayer that as we study in the book of Isaiah that our eyes are opened to the glory of the Lord. That our eyes just get big like a kid on Christmas morning that walks down and sees all the presents. They don't even know all that's going to be there, but their eyes are so big they almost want to pop out of their heads. God is going to do that for us as we look at his character that's what God wants us to see as we encounter him that God wants you to experience that in the quiet of your home when you go to your prayer closet and pray he wants you to be amazed at his glory so when other people ask you about it you're like let me tell you about my God let me tell you about the things that he's done let me tell you about the things that he's done in my life let me tell you about his his majesty and his glory People won't be able to shut us up when we get a grasp of who God is. But the ultimate display that we get of God's glory is found in Jesus, who's the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. In the transfiguration, it unveiled his glory, but ultimately at the cross is where we see God's character. Because at the cross, we see his love. At the cross, we see grace. At the cross, we see his power. At the cross, we see wrath. At the cross, we see justice. At the cross, we see grace and mercy and patience. So if we want to see the glory of the Lord and his amazing might, we just simply need to look at the cross. That's why we'll spend some time together on Good Friday, just looking to what Christ has done on the cross. And then as we look for his return, we have to remember that throughout eternity, God's glory is what lights up everything in the new Jerusalem. It says, for the glory of God gives light and its lamp is the lamb. God's glory is so amazing. We don't We don't need the lights on. The people who work for the power plant will be out of a job. No need for electricity. No need for lights. God's glory is just going to light up everything. It's going to be absolutely amazing. And this promise Is never going to fail because it comes from the mouth of the Lord, for he has spoken it because God's promises are certain. As we continue on in the passage, look at verses 6, 7, and 8. And the voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. I mean, when we think about it, I mean, things just fade away. It doesn't matter if you're a great athlete. Eventually the athletes have to retire. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you think you're the greatest or people call you the greatest. At some point, your abilities diminish. It doesn't matter how beautiful a young woman is and all the different things that you do. You can't stop the aging process. We fade. It doesn't matter how much we try to put into our minds, uh, maybe great scientists. Eventually we forget because it's it's fleeting. But there is something that stands forever. Look at verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades But the word of our God will stand forever. The word of our God will stand forever. It's a fresh reminder. It's not not the things that we will do that will stand forever. To the degree that we bring this forward and get out of the way, we will see things last. It's not because it has our fingerprints, it's because it has God's fingerprints. The word of our God stands forever, and we have the privilege of having God reveal himself to us. We don't have a God who just sits and says, I just rule and, you know, come find me. That's kind of a fun game for me. Why don't you just kind of search all around, and maybe you'll find me, maybe you won't. No, he has revealed himself in his word. Even before sending his son, who is the image of the invisible God, he's revealed himself to his people. He's even had it written down for us. And we have the privilege in our day to have a copy of his eternal word. God's speaking to us. So when you open your Bible and you read, God has spoken. That's why every Sunday we say, this is the word of the Lord, because this is the word of the Lord. If you ever wonder if God's still speaking to you, open your Bible. God wants to speak to you every day, words that last forever. These things are enduring. These things are sure because he's going to make way. He's going to accomplish it. So when you read these things, these will give you life. Not the opinions of of the day. Those are going to fade away. There have been things that have come and they go but the word of God stands forever. So even though our bodies may fail, even though our failures may seem to overtake us, our failures aren't final. This word is final. This word will remain. These are the last words. So God's promise of salvation and restoration is the thing we must run to because he's saying comfort my people. He wants us to run to him, not run from him, run to his feet, not run away from him. Yes, we reverence him because he's just so amazing. When we get to heaven and we, the, the veil is removed and we kind of see him in all his glory, we're just not gonna know what to do. It's going to, you know, that's the reason that God has made angels with like six arms. Because they can cover their face and they can cover their feet and they can praise and they can do all those things at the same time. We're going to get, they're going to be like, I don't know, should I fall down on my face? Should I jump up and down? I don't know, because we're just going to be completely blown away by the glory of the Lord and the presence of Christ. So may God give us a picture of him and he gives us a picture of him if we would just take the time to sit before his word. How how many other things in our life are just so far lesser? And I can spend 30 minutes on the news and just feel so empty. And I spend five minutes in God's word and I feel so full. I feel like I can run up a mountain. Because this word has substance. It has the promises that we need and it, and it lasts forever. And this truths that God is speaking to us, we aren't to keep them to ourselves, Because God does something in us when we share these truths with others. God speaks this promise that we're to spread. Because after he says these things, in verse 9 he says, Get you up to a high mountain. O Zion, herald the good news. Like, proclaim the good news. Lift up your voice with strength. That's not a picture of like, "Ah, I got something to share. Just come over. I got something to, come, come let me share. I got something to tell you all because I can't hold it in. Herald the good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold your God. When we get a picture of God, behold your God. He is the reason that you were created. You were created to bring him glory. There's a reason that this other stuff doesn't deliver. Just watch that that movie, Jesus Revolution, which kind of takes us back doesn't really take me back because I didn't live during that time. Okay, I'm not that old. I may look that old. But a time where God was moving in our country. Just a microcosm in one place. He was moving throughout the country from East Coast to West Coast, bringing Christ. People were getting saved because there were lots of people who were just finding their identity, trying to find satisfaction in sex, drugs, and rock and roll pushing against the norms, and yet God showed up. And if you don't know anything about that time, look around the room, find the gray-headed hair folks that were around during that time, and they're going to tell you some stories. That'll be far better than anything you're going to watch on TV this afternoon. Because God moved. But today's age is not any different. It's not any different. We just call the stuff we go after By different names. Whether it's vaping or the latest new drug or the latest way to to express the sexual expression outside the context of marriage. There's any number of things. Cutting. There's things that people do. Different names, same stuff. And it's been happening in every age. Even C.S. Lewis pointed to that. He said, He said, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game, praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians and scholars. Just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. There's all kinds of evangelists out there. Whether it's for the latest diet or the newest philosophy or the oldest philosophy that's been repackaged to look like it's something new, they're praising it. They're trying to get us Involved, they say, isn't, it, isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. But we have something else of substance to declare Behold your God. Behold your God. Behold your God. Look at verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. How many long for someone to come and to deliver them from the struggle that they have. We need to hold out our God. Behold, his reward is with him, his recompense before him. He's going to avenge. He's going to forgive. But as we call them to behold We must point them to the shepherd. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. How all people no matter how macho they look on the outside, are longing. They're longing to be protected. They're longing to be known. They're longing to be cared for. They're longing to be accepted. They're longing to have significance. And the picture we have is of a shepherd who gathers up his flock and holds them close to his heart. So as you think of your God, that's what your God has done. Your God came and went to the cross for you. His name is Jesus, and he is the good shepherd who laid his life down for the sheep, and he gathers us close, whether we're weak or hurting. He runs after us when we are wayward. That's the one we must come to his feet and worship. He's the one who wants us to know his loving, tender voice. And as we share that good news with others, God does something in our heart. I can't explain it. I can only talk about the experience that I have had. Yes, are there times where I've shared the gospel and the door has been slapped in my face, but there's something odd that happens even when the door gets slammed in your face that that God does in your heart when you are saying, behold, behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. It's like we have a greater enjoyment of who he is. We aren't just to keep it Inside these walls, we aren't just to keep it inside of our small groups. No, our small groups are so that we can encourage one another and strengthen one another to go out and share Christ with others and bring others in. Don't get comfortable in your small group. You should feel comfort. You should feel care. It should be, the door should be open to bring others in because people need to behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Friends, I'm, I'm excited that we are going to be learning more about our God as we study the book of Isaiah because I think it's going to change everything because what we think about God is the most important thing about us. And right now, as this text leaves us with Jesus, we're going to take communion together. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and to play. And we're going to take communion a little bit different because I want to encourage us just to take time to behold, to behold your God. So the the worship team is going to play, and after I give a little bit of instruction, I want to encourage you to come forward and take the elements on your own. We've got elements over here. We've got elements over here. You can come down the aisles, make your way back. But don't don't feel like you have to go right back to your seat. If that's the most comfortable place for you to behold your God, you can do that. But there's a place off to the side over here, some other chairs, maybe you wanna kneel over here, maybe you wanna come up front here, no judgment. We're not here to behold each other, we're here to behold our God. Because as you come to take the elements, you need to remember as you take the bread, that represents the body of Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords who came and dwelt among us in the flesh for one purpose, that he would go to the cross and give that body for you. And then when you take the cup, you're to remember this represents the blood of Jesus which was shed for you. He made the path for you to have a relationship with God because the blood of Jesus washes your sins whiter than snow, cleanses you completely so that you can come right into the presence of God. The, the way is made for you today to come into his presence. I want to welcome you to do that. So the worship team is going to play and they're going to sing. Don't feel like you have to join in in singing. Just engage with your God. Again, you can do it over on the side. You can go back to your seat. You can come up front here. And we're just going to linger a little bit as we behold the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Church, why don't you feel the freedom to come forward
0: and take the elements and behold